Hello and welcome back to Trash and Treasury with Grace and Miranda, the podcast for people who like to hear some informative stuff but also don't want everything to be serious and need some hardcore pop culture trash TV in their life as well. (laughs) Really is the best combo. (laughs) It is, light and dark. But for today's Treasury, we do have a sort of retro old school smart stuff. Mm. I am going to be telling Miranda all about the Watergate scandal. Yes, thank God, because I have no idea what it's about. I actually have zero knowledge and I'm so embarrassed to like tell people that I don't know what it is because it feels like it's something I should know. I think most of our generation doesn't. Like I think everyone's heard of the term, but I think like most people don't actually know what exactly it's talking about. So if you don't know either, we're going to be telling you all about it in Treasury today. Brilliant. And speaking of brilliance, we're talking about the Netflix series, The Queen's Gambit, all about a chess prodigy. And Mm. it is surprisingly wonderful. I mean, it has got accolades already, um, you know, for a show about literally chess. Um, I did not think it was going to be so good, but I was pleasantly surprised along with the rest of the world. So can't wait to deep dive into that and also um, the parallels to some real life uh, things that happen in the world of chess, um, in orphanages and just all things Queen's Gambit. Yeah. It's been a huge show. Hard to miss. I think it's like Netflix's most watched original drama series or Something like that. Yeah, so good. But before we get into that, let's find out WTF is Watergate. (laughs) Yes, please. (laughs) So Watergate is sort of the most well-known political scandal. It's always referred to... Everything controversial that ever happens is called like something gate. Yeah. Like always. Like, it's like the original gate, isn't it? Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, when Tony Abbott ate the raw onion, it was like onion gate. Onion gate. It's <laughs> just like so many gates. <laughs> what's, what's some of the other gates that have happened? Pizza gate, the QAnon. Pizza gate. Yep. There's like fart gate where someone farted on live TV. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Obama gate. Trump? Obamagate. What is it? The worst crime in the world. Yeah. (laughs) AKA, not true. Um, Look, yeah, the list goes on. But as we were just saying in the intro, I think a lot of people, particularly our age, you know, this was the 70s. We were born in the early 90s and it is before our time. And even though it is a ubiquitous term, it's not really something that I think we talk about much. Like, what do you know about it or what do you think about it? I honestly have zero clue about yeah. anything that of what it is. I feel like yeah. maybe when you start talking about it, I'm going to sort of say, oh, is uh, that what yeah, it means? Because I've heard yeah. people talk about Watergate and I feel like it's political, but that's yeah. literally all I know. That's all I know. Political scandal is like what the term means now. So like, yes, you have that. You know it means that, but you don't <laughs> know, know why. That, but I don't know why. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> so... The name Watergate comes from this uh, complex. It has a hotel, offices and convention centres, the Watergate complex. Mm -hmm. And it was where the Democratic National Convention had their headquarters. So for those that don't know, that's like the head of the Democratic Party sort of trying to get re-elected rather than the actual people in government. They're more around the Democratic Party. And it's the Mm -hmm. early 70s. Richard Nixon was the Republican president. So the Democrats were trying to get him out. And there was also a group of people, um, government officials at the White House, who were trying to get Nixon re-elected. And they had a committee called the Committee to Re-elect the President. So that sort of sets the scene. It's the 70s. It's a lead up to the election. So it's much like the year we just had. And basically the scandal and the term stems from an event that happened at this Watergate complex and everything that followed. Okay. Ringing any bells yet? Uh, no. <laughs> no, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> How bad is that? 
it's like so bad. There will be a few bits where I reckon you'll be like, oh, I've seen that Simpsons episode where they're talking about something like that. You know? I'm, I'm really hoping so. Otherwise, like mum and dad are going to be very disappointed. No, <laughs> they're avid like, listeners of the pod and mum is a trained journalist and dad's a trained teacher and avid reader. So well, I feel like... Look. Whatever. People don't talk about it and that's why yeah. we're covering the smart stuff yeah. and giving you the informative. We're speech. learning. Exactly. <laughs> um, so basically what happened was one Friday night, five men were caught breaking into the headquarters of the Democratic National Convention at the Watergate Hotel. They were trying to steal like Democratic campaign documents, photograph stuff. But really what they were also mainly trying to do was put bugs in the place to do like secret recordings, tap the phones and try to get like anything they could get so that they could help their own, um, it turns out, campaign to get the Republicans back in. But when they get arrested, they say they're Cuban freedom fighters and, you know, they, you know, don't like the Democrats. So everyone's like, okay, cool. And they get let out of jail on bail after their robbery. And then an anonymous tipster comes in. So he's like an anonymous informer sort of guy speaking with journalists at the Washington Post. And he says he has information about this burglary and that it goes all the way to the White House and the CIA (laughs) and like the FBI and everyone's involved. And it's like, I feel like if you got that call now, you'd be like, okay, Pete Evans, QAnon guy, like, yeah, pretty sure everything's not some conspiracy about the White House. But anyway, (laughs) sure, Jan. Sure, Jan. Okay, Karen. (laughs) Thanks. Okay, Karen. (laughs) And this anonymous tipster guy calls himself Deep Throat, which I feel like is a weird, gross detail that people don't talk about enough. Yes. (laughs) Why is it not called Deep Throat Gate? That's so gross. (laughs) So gross. (laughs) And apparently it's because Deep Throat was like a famous 70s porno of the time that like everyone was talking about. But now everyone just is always being like, yeah, the informer, Deep Throat. I'm like, guys, this is really gross and weird. Why do we keep just saying this like it's normal? And funny out of everyone they picked that. (laughs) What the hell? (laughs) So he is just like someone like calling up the journalists and being like, I can't tell you who I am, but I know the truth. And mm. it's also really funny because he won't speak on the phone because oh. he's worried about, like, his voice being recorded because the whole thing with the burglary was, like, you know, recording people's voices. But wasn't he calling the police on the phone? No, he's talking to journalists. Oh, okay. But the way he talks to them <laughs> is really hilarious. Okay. Um, so because he doesn't want to call them, he somehow establishes this system where they'll meet up in a parking garage and the way he will organise them to meet up is if he moves a pot plant on his balcony with a red flag in it. If he moves the pot plant, <laughs> it means meet me in the garage. <laughs> <laughs> All you need to know is this anonymous guy called Deep Throat was telling journalists something is <laughs> wrong with this burglary and it's related to the White House and the CIA and the FBI. Okay. And so what he said to them was follow the money. Um, And so the journalists were like, okay, um, it was a lot of money that the Cuban robbers, you know, paid for their bail. Like, how'd they get that money? Uh, Like, how could they afford that? And it turns out that, like, their bail was incredibly easy to trace back to the White House because... (laughs) When the burglars were cashing in cashier's checks, instead of the burglars' names on them, they were made out to the finance committee of the committee to re-elect the president. So it was people who had donated to Richard Nixon's re-election campaign, their checks. Yeah. They gave those checks on to the burglars. So they were like, people thought they were donating to the election campaign. (laughs) But also that's, like, so obvious. Like, it literally says that and not their name. Like, it yeah. actually seems just, like, really stupid that no one thought that through better. Like, how? So, how? Yeah. How are they how? so stupid? I don't know whether they were just entitled or just, like, didn't think people. Everyone knows to use cash if you're doing something weird and sneaky. That's why there's all movies about cash in suitcases and in bank vaults. Yeah. Like, you don't use anything with your name on it. Maybe that's since Watergate. I don't know. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. Maybe <laughs> cashier check gate. So That's they were it. using cashier checks. Um, and so that money thing comes out. And so then everyone knows like something dodgy has happened with this election campaign. And the question becomes like unanimously, like what did Nixon know? Like, did he, was he involved in this? Like, when did he find out about this? Like at what point? And did he like try to stop this? And what is quite um, amazing and, like, really wouldn't happen in modern politics is that the Senate votes unanimously 77 to 0 to investigate Watergate and what happened. I feel like is sitting president getting investigated into, like, the whole Senate was like, yes, like, investigate. It's pretty different, isn't it? Very different. Yeah. Very different. Maybe it was sort of the one of the first of its kind so they were sort of responding seriously that is whereas true, now actually. there's just with social media it would just be endless the investigations the, they would just be endless yeah. if some random with a tinfoil hat was given the time of day that this guy that deep throat was yeah. given you yeah. know it's so funny saying it at the serious place <laughs> like just, i have no idea why this detail is not yeah. like the most prominent thing ever um <laughs> so funny i think you're you are right though like um it was kind of one of the first of its kind like yeah isn't it was so big um and not as much social media obviously we hadn't yeah. had 9-11 um we didn't yeah. have um huge accessible internet um yeah just way less ability for people to um get their crazy thoughts into the public space yeah but deep throat did so mm. they're gonna investigate they're doing a senate investigation um they broadcast the Senate hearings live on TV over oh. a period of like three months. They're really detailed hearings and it's estimated that 85% of Americans that owned a TV watched at least some of it. Wow. So that's like huge as well. It it's was like, the moon like as you said though, it was like the first sort of like entertainment of like, well, so, you know, and it's the president, like it's huge. So can I clarify? Yes. The tinfoil hat deep throat man is yes. saying to people, follow the money. Yeah. And these alleged, what, what, Cuban spies or something that got arrested bugged the White House. Is that right? I'm not sure if they're actually Cuban, but they said they were like fighting to free Cuba or they're Cuban freedom fighters. Um, and right. then that was like sort of a little bit in the news because it was like, there's a break in. And that's when Deep Throat called the journalists and he was like, I can't tell you how I know this, but trust me, like, this goes all the way to the top. Like, this is dodgy, man. Um, So the break-in was the opposition, the Democratic National Convention headquarters. And he Mm. was saying the other party, the Republicans who are in government, they have something to do with this and the FBI and the CRA are in on it. So that's what he said. And they were able to trace the money that the robber's bail was paid in back yes. to, like, the president's staff. So it turns out that this crazy man was right? Exactly. So, oh. like, he knew something and he was so tipping So he did know something. How did he yeah. know something? Do you reckon he just made it up and then it was like a shot in the dark he was right? Like, what we'll, the hell? We'll, I will tell you who he is at the end. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, like, why would the newspapers, like, as you said, if someone called, like, the fact, I think they were quite hesitant about, like, going, like, they were publishing it, like, very small at the start. It wasn't getting, like, much traction, but then they started investigating it. Right now it's very hard to get good investigative journalism because there's, like, no real, like, many jobs in the media. You get, like, paid per word and you can't really, like, you just have to write, like, whatever crap you can do really quickly. Whereas back in the day you were, like, a paid journalist and was, like, go investigate stories. Like, actually don't write an article till you've got something really interesting and research to say. So the journalists were just following up on leads like this. Right. Which, again, is something that's so different to now. So, So it turns out that there were bugs in the White House. That's what the robbers put there. So the robbers were in the, not in the White House, the robbers were in the Democratic National Convention putting bugs. Okay. So they did put bugs in the convention. Okay. But hold that thought about bugs in the White House because that does come into this story. Okay. (laughs) I'm still so confused. That's okay. What? And (laughs) then, so 
when he says follow the money, what does he believe the money is? He says that the money is going to show that this robbery, burglary in the Democratic Convention Centre is linked to the White House. And that's how, and they did show that because of the cashier's checks that said, I'm giving you this check to help fund Nixon's re-election campaign. And they said, cool, we'll just cross that off and give this to the robber now to pay for their bail. And they're like, wait, so you're bailing out the robbers? Why would you do that? Yeah. Why on earth would you do that? Right. Okay. All right. So that's what leads to be an investigation. So now we're at the investigation. Mm -hmm. And so you mentioned bugs in the White House. So Nixon was trying to deny that he knew what was going on. And he's like, no, I didn't know anything. And they can't really prove what he did or didn't know and what he did or didn't say. And then under oath, one of the Senate committee asks a government person if they have any recording devices in the White House. And they, like, don't want to answer, but they're under oath. So they're like, yeah, actually, we're, like, always recording everyone in the White House. We have, like, a voice-activated recording system (gasps) in the Oval Office. Oh, my God. Yes. So there was also bugs in the White House that (laughs) the White House put there themselves for some reason. And they tell the Senate committee they've been like recording everything they're talking about as well. And the special prosecutor was like, okay, awesome. Like we will subpoena those immediately, please, because that's great evidence to find out what you knew. And Nixon, (laughs) the president, is like, no. He (laughs) tells the special prosecutor to overturn the subpoena and the special prosecutor refuses to do it. So Nixon, and Nixon says you should overturn it because it's his um, executive privilege as president to have it overturned. So the special prosecutor refuses to uh, overturn the subpoena. So Richard Nixon gets the attorney general to try to fire the prosecutor. And instead the attorney general resigns because he's like, I'm not going to fire him. So then... Richard Nixon, the president, goes to the deputy attorney general and was like, okay, your boss wouldn't fire him, but you should fire him. Mm. And again, the next person resigns. (laughs) So then he goes to, like, the third in charge, the solicitor general, who is now, like, the most senior person left. And eventually the solicitor general follows the president's orders and fires the special prosecutor and they get a new special prosecutor. So that also, like, doesn't look great. No, no, it doesn't. That's very Trumpy. It's Trumpy, isn't it? It it is Trumpy. Did not make the connection because I didn't know the story at all. But um, (laughs) that's Mm. so interesting because Trump's like going around and firing everyone and his staff to protect himself. But yeah, that's what like what he did with James Comey because the investigation and stuff like this is very similar. It actually is, isn't it? Yeah. And so this becomes a big issue as to whether he can subpoena the tapes. And it ends up going all the way to the Supreme Court in the United States versus Nixon. And again, the Supreme Court unanimously ruled 8-0 that his claims of executive privilege were like didn't mean anything. And like, you know, he had to hand the tapes over. So fine. And like for ages, he's like, no, rather than hand over the tapes, I'll just give you like a written transcript of what they said. And everyone's like, well, we don't trust you. So give us the tapes. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And so when people refer to the Watergate tapes, I always thought they were referring to the initial bugging because I knew there was something about a bugging and, like, listening, but they're actually talking about, like, their own tapes from their own White House that, like, were being made to be revealed because the question is, like, it's proven that someone on Nixon's, like, campaign in his office was trying to, like, bug the other side but was it Nixon and so this is what the tapes are going to prove. Wow. So apparently there's, like... 10,000 hours of recording and 200 hours of it are talking about Watergate. So they're like, okay, what's the president saying? And like, it's still hard to know because 18 minutes of the recording was deleted. Ooh. And there, his secretary was like, oh, no, like I answered the phone and I accidentally took like my pedal, my foot off this like pedal and like something happened and... 
the FBI took her to her office and was like, so show us how that happened. And she would have had to like stretch really far and it was like very implausible that that's what happened. Like it's much more likely that they deleted the tape because coincidentally it was like, the day after the burglary, like exactly when you would have been saying really incriminating stuff. Ooh. And to this day, they've never found what it says. So did they get in trouble for deleting the tapes? Yes, they did. And the other thing they found in the tape was that, um, yeah, they didn't delete everything incriminating. They left enough bad stuff where they deleted whether you couldn't tell if he told them to do the burglary, but he definitely told everyone to like, cover up the links to the White House and, like, you know, try to, like, stop the FBI investigating it and stuff. Wow. But um, as they, you're right, like, because they deleted it, they're, like, hindering an investigation. So a lot of his staff got, like, indicted and, yeah, 69 people. It was, like, a very widespread, like, systemic culture thing. It was, like, 69 people got charged and 48 staff got convicted. Wow, just all being um, complicit in it. Yeah, and, like, trying to, you know, cover something up, like conspiracy to, like, hinder the course of justice and, like, mm. yeah, you know. And um, Nixon wasn't indicted because the way to go about him was impeachment because he's the president, as we talked about a lot last season with Trump and Trump's impeachment. Um, and... Motions get put in place to impeach Nixon, but he just quits before he can be impeached. He's the only president that's ever resigned. So then who took over? The vice president? Yeah, I think the vice president took over and then another president came in and that next president just pardoned Nixon. And Nixon's like never got in any trouble for that whole thing. He just got like a presidential pardon. Wow, so he's just off riding horses somewhere. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he's dead now. Oh. I could be wrong about that. Um, but yeah, he, he was, is. I'm pretty sure, but he was maintaining his innocence all the way and was like, no, nah, it didn't happen. Wow. So that's basically the whole thing. So questions, concerns. That is fascinating. I mean, for somebody who's like really interested in American politics at the moment um, and has been following Trump and Hillary and the Georgia runoffs and um, yeah, yeah, which is, you know, just amazing that they're finally um, been able to take control of the Senate now. But it's I didn't know anything about this. I didn't even know if Richard Nixon was dead or alive. Well, neither do I, clearly, so we'll fact check that. Which is just so funny because, like, this is a huge thing that I feel like I haven't heard a lot of reference to in relation to Trump. And, I mean, in terms of um, trying to change the election results, um, you know, trying to stop internal investigation um the firing I think the thing is Trump is so much worse like all, yeah all those things you're listing like I guess my thought is that like if this happened today people would be like yeah like everyone's recording everyone like what's your problem like moving on like nobody cares because mm-hmm. of all the stuff that's happened under Trump like this just seems like it wouldn't get much airtime but it was like it's it was like the first big scandal that made people realize that maybe the government and the elected president like wasn't necessarily always doing the right thing and shattered like the trust. Yeah. Wow. Well, that was so fascinating. Thank you for explaining that to me. I'm sure no. that there'll be a lot of people out there who are have been afraid to admit that they didn't know what it was either who will have gained exactly. a lot of knowledge from and this. And now they know. Okay, but I said I would tell you who Deep Throat was. So do you have any <gasps> oh my guesses? God, yes. Okay. Um, the secretary. Great no. guess. Oh. But I'll tell you, no. So the identity was only confirmed in 2005. 33 years after this all happened. So there had been, like, a lot of speculation, but now it's been, like, fully confirmed. But didn't someone meet him in the garage? So people would have seen him. Yes, but the journalists wouldn't give up his identity and stuff. Oh, Like, because it was their anonymous source and everything. Right. But who it is was, um, it's scandalous in itself who it is. His name was William Mark Felt Sr. And during the period in the 70s where all of this occurred, he was the deputy director of the FBI. (gasps) 
So he knew that stuff got was <gasps> happening that was bad and he leaked it. And like such a senior person, I know. <gasps> That's like literally James Comey. I know. It's so Comey. So wow. imagine if instead Comey was like, I don't know. This anonymous tinfoil hat guy. Wow. Yes. And then it's just so funny to think of like James Comey or this FBI guy like with his flower pot on the balcony and stuff like because yeah. he was such an actually really senior serious person. Holy crap. So he was actually very scared for his identity to be revealed. I mean, yeah. unlike Comey, Comey didn't release anything like he was so stoic in terms of like his ethics, but um and, you know, has a lot of admirable qualities, although, you know, mm. still questionable in, in his actions, um, according to some I finally people. watched that uh, drama you recommended oh, last season. It's great. good was Yeah, it's it? really great. It's If you fantastic. haven't watched it, get on it. It's on stand. It, yeah, it's just <laughs> so brilliant. Jeff Daniels, oh, my God. And, yeah, like, holy crap, that's massive. Yeah. But, yeah, geez. That was not an ending I saw coming. I mean, I'm sure that there's movies about this. Um, there is. There is a very famous movie about this called All the President's Men, um, which was first a book and it was written by the two journalists who were getting the tip-offs and investigated it. So, okay. um, yeah, that's a very famous movie. But I'm glad you enjoyed that. A little random. Yeah, that was so dramatic. I was <laughs> I was totally hooked. It was like watching TV, like a whole TV series. <laughs> It's on the edge of my seat, just like I was in the Queen's Gambit. So let's switch tracks and dive into some television. The Queen's Gambit has taken Netflix and the locked-in sort of Christmas, New Year, COVID crowd by storm. People mm-hmm. are obsessed with it. Um, it's just a show that dropped on Netflix. I had no inkling that it was coming. I hadn't seen any trailers for it. I just thought, oh, this is strange. What's this about? A new show. I must watch. A new show. (laughs) Must watch immediately. And it looked well produced instantly. I thought, okay, it's set in the 50s. Okay, I'm liking it. I'm liking it. And it's about chess. Mm -hmm. And I was like, um... I don't know. Am I going to be interested in this? Am I not going to be interested in this? And then I started watching it and I was like, "Eh, okay, all right. Um, And then I just fell in love with it. I've watched it twice now. I just think it's such a brilliant show. It's based on a book, by the way. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a fiction. It's it's a work of fiction. But there are um, elements of truth in it. in terms of the broader uh, actual professional chess realm at that time and, um, you know, reflecting on the now as well. But There's also elements of truth in it. Um, the author of the book spent time in like a sort of orphanage thing where they drugged him and he became yes. an alcoholic and that's clearly something that he put into the book. And Yes. The so for those who haven't watched it... Um, We will be discussing it and we will be spoiling it. The plot is about a young girl played by Anya Taylor-Joy who becomes an orphan. Essentially, she befriends a janitor who is really good at chess and she learns how to play chess from him in this orphanage. And it just is quite apparent quickly that she's essentially a prodigy. Her brain works differently. She's really really brilliant at knowing how to win and how to move the pieces in a way that Mm. she can outsmart any opponent she meets and um the other theme here is that um in the orphanage itself again based in truth uh there was a drug that she took um it's uh not a real drug in the show but um they did it was known that uh, children were drugged in orphanages mm. back in this in this time, in this decade, to basically keep them under control, to have good little children, you know, so they weren't acting out and were, weren't being rude or anything, but they just gave them to everyone like candy, even if they were being well-behaved. She ends up staying in that orphanage uh, for quite some time until she's adopted by a family. 
And a few actors in this. So the main character, Beth Harmon, is played by Anya Taylor-Joy, who's in quite a few things, actually. Mm. She is brilliant. Oh, my God. The acting chops on this girl are phenomenal. I think she does just such a brilliant job. I mean, it doesn't hurt that she is stunningly beautiful, um, which is part of the, the, the show's theme, I suppose. You know, she does get a lot of attention from men. Um, and she enjoys that attention as well um, for the most part. But she she is stunning. She is absolutely stunning to look at. And I was listening to an interview with the director and he was like, you know, I knew that a show that was about kind of a serious or, you know, as some would perceive to be dry content, it had to be played by someone who you couldn't look away from to draw them in. And so she was a very deliberate choice. He asked her to be the lead and she did. They didn't even do a casting call or anything. She was just it and she was very excited to do it. But we also see a few familiar faces. We see um, the guy who plays this very sweet um, called Harry Beltic. He was... um, Dudley from Harry Potter. Yeah, I read that, but I did not recognize him at all. I didn't recognize him either, but as soon as I saw who it was, I was like, oh, yeah. That makes sense, yeah. And and the Love Actually kid, Sam. Yes. Flashback to last week's episode, yes. But um, it was a brilliant show. Um, I I think um, I loved seeing her portrayal of... Um, as well, one a prodigy. I thought she she did that well. Um, mm. she focused on the play really well. Um, and she drew you in. You know, I think that you know, I I think it's quite easy to be annoyed by a lead who doesn't do right by the content or the show. And she just completely drew me in. Like I'm obsessed with Anya Taylor Joy. I thought she was fantastic. The mother, I thought, was such an interesting character. Like she, you know, adopted this older girl. So she was 17 or something by the time she was adopted by a family. The dad ups Mm. and leaves and then she's taking care of her on her own and she's not very maternal but she then decides to be maternal and she's not interested in her chess hobby. She thinks that she should be going dancing and doing girly Mm. things and she – just Beth just wants to play chess and then it's not until they don't have much money that she's like I'm going to a chess tournament and she won $500 or something and then she's like maybe we could keep doing this and so she just allows her to like leave school and they go traveling together and they're basically best buds yeah she allows her (laughs) together in hotel rooms and drinking together in hotel rooms which again really problematic but just I mean, it was an interesting story. I thought she was a really interesting and well-fleshed-out character and I would never would have predicted that the mum was that type of person. Like, what an interesting character to create who was originally not supportive but then became supportive. Like, usually yeah. I think the trope of an adopted, you know, foster mum or adopted parent is that because at first it seemed like she was going to be really cold and rejecty. And then Beth was going to have to sneak out to go to the chess tournaments and she was going to have to defy her her new adopted mother. But actually she became really supportive and they formed this bond. And I, I really liked that they subverted that stereotype as well. What I agree. I liked the storyline of the adoptive mum, but I felt like the birth mum storyline was a bit not quite fulfilled. There's like yeah. a lot of flashbacks and hints to it and like a particularly traumatic flashback with like the moments before the car crash that she can always remember. But I yeah. felt like there was going to be some other big reveal coming with the mum that kind of just never did. I sort of see what you're saying. I think it was more just she could see that her mum was struggling but she also, you know, she didn't want to become her mum, but she did. Mm. You know, she became a substance user and and she kind of didn't want that for herself, um, even though she had empathy for her birth mum. Like, she didn't want that for herself in the end. And I don't know. I mean, sure, it was a bit 
bit on the nose with the whole tragic backstory thing. Um, mm, and then tragic with the other mum. There's a lot of tragedy in Among the Chess. A lot of tragedy, yeah. Um, but a few, yeah, I mean, I just, I thought it was really good. I loved watching the chess too. Like I loved watching yeah. the tournaments and I loved who she was playing and um, the involvement of the Russians and everything. Like it's just, it was so good. So um, int- a few interesting facts. All right, so we're starting on the show itself. So it had tried to be made several times as a movie but failed. Mm-hmm. And interestingly... One of the people who tried to make this movie was none other than Heath Ledger. He was trying to make it. um, And the guy who actually directed the TV show in the end called Scott Frank was super excited. He was like, oh, my God, he's going to make such a good version of this because he'd read the book and thought, I want to make this, Mm. but couldn't pitch it. He couldn't pitch it successfully to anybody. He was like, it's going to be really good. And they're like, no, thanks. Mm. And it wasn't until I think Netflix wanted it to be a series. And he was like, I can't do a series. I want a movie. And he was so thankful in the end that he got to make it a series because he could flesh out the characters in the way. It's kind of like Harry Potter kept getting rejected from everywhere. Yes. But do you know why Heath Ledger wanted to make it? No. Because Heath Ledger was like a child chess prodigy. (gasps) <gasps> no yes oh my god so apparently he was an accomplished chess player that won the west australia junior chess championship oh my god and he read it and he was like yes like that's so cool and apparently he used to always play chess at like central park in the public chess <gasps> courts and stuff oh my god i didn't know that that's so yeah. adorable oh my god i love love teeth ledger and he was also going to cast um formerly Ellen Page currently Elliot Page and mm. um, they were going to play Beth so that would have been really interesting I reckon yeah, to see um how that would have been fleshed out but actually he died of an overdose before he got to make his directional debut so this would have been the first film he ever made damn he never got to do it so another couple of facts that are really interesting I also Mm -hmm. listened to an interview with a real chess player and she said that she loves that the Queen's in the Queen's Gambit they played chess correctly and that Mm. sometimes in other shows they get it wrong so badly and like it's so insulting because they get Mm. the board set up wrong. They move pieces in ways that they can't move. Um, and the show did, you know, it did actually have a professional um, chess consultant. She also said, this chess player, that she thinks that the visualisation of the chessboard is slightly exaggerated, but like on the roof, but the visualisation of chess or sort of like the second nature of knowing the board backwards is something you actually do need to have. Like you need to know all of those Mm. squares inside and out, every way that anything can go. You pretty much, it's just like a second language. You just know that Mm. board. And she also does comment and say that the substance abuse in the show was focused on Beth. Um, So she didn't kind of like that it was only Beth that it was focused on. But she interestingly says that in current professional chess culture, she believes alcoholism and substance abuse is prevalent. And she also says that it's common for gifted or obsessive prodigies. Like they'll often have an addictive personality because they are almost Mm. addicted to the game. So they're kind of addicted to chess. It's They've got an addictive, obsessive personality. It kind of goes hand in hand, plus the late nights, plus the travel, plus the anxiety, you know, Mm. it just kind of all leads into this culture of drinking and drugs. And um, she also said that they portray the study of the game really well because if you're playing at an expert level, you'll go Mm. back and study old games that your opponents play. Like that is something that definitely happens, must happen. Otherwise you will lose, she says, 100% you will lose if you don't know their tricks, if you don't know how they're playing, if you don't know their patterns, if you don't know 
the style of how they play. She even said she likened herself to Beth. She's like, she's an aggressive player. I'm an aggressive player. She played the Sicilian. I played the Sicilian. And I was like, oh, this is so exciting. It was so cool. And she even said, um, you know, she didn't pursue professional chess as a career because you would have to study almost eight hours a day and have had coaches and, Mm. you know, every day on a professional level in order to have a shot at all. And she just didn't Mm. want to commit to it. And so, you know, we do see Beth doing that. It's just kind of in fast time. She's like, you can't just kind of like wake up one day and say, I'm going to read some books. It's like you have to study it consistently, have coaches. You know, she's been studying it in the show since she was like, you know, 12 or something. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, totally. Doing it every single day. Doing it every single day. Plus she's a prodigy. And um, she thought she related to Beth in terms of the style of how she played, but she related to the character of Dudley or what was his name? Beltic. um, That, you know, he discovered he didn't like chess enough to pursue it professionally. And that's what Mm. she decided. And she decided this at the grand old age of 17. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) So she started young. Wow. (laughs) And um, she also said it's realistic that Russians had chess ingrained in their culture early by the 50s, but it did take a while for it to be ingrained in American culture. So it was very much politicised at that time, you know, because it was – you know, it, it just it, communism and everything. It was kind of the playing the Russians was a big, big deal back at that mm. time, and they were proficient and they had the world championships in chess. But they, something that's not correct in the show was that actually she could never have competed in the world championships in the sixties because oh, really? um, in real life, women weren't allowed in the championships till the eighties. Oh, really? Yeah. So um, they used to have the women's women's chess tournament and the World Chess Championship was just men. And um, mm. there was a young woman that was like, you need to just make that open to everyone. Um, and so, yeah, they did that change in 1986. How so interesting. that couldn't have occurred in the show in the timelines. We wouldn't right, have had the yeah. beautiful 60s fashion. We would have had horrendous 80s fashion. Yeah. (laughs) Wanted to keep it sleek. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think um, it's – the director even says he's like, you know, it it is a work of fiction. I mean, yeah, the fact that a woman got where she did in the show and the book, you know. Yeah, like they say it's based on Bobby Fischer, which is like a a male chess prodigy who was really young. Yes, and so they decided to mix it up and use a female and I think good on him like it worked so well it was a brilliant show really well done and yeah not everything has to be a documentary totally you know it's like a good story and I just it's a great story and it's like been yeah like the most watched Netflix show of all time or something it's true have you um played much chess in your life Grace I do know chess dad taught us chess yeah, I have not played chess since I watched the show. I don't think we have a chess board at home and due mm. to COVID have not been anywhere where they have chess. What about you? I... Do you say you've, you're suddenly playing all the time? Well, I got my board out to like check if I had all the pieces, but yeah. I haven't played chess in years. Like I literally don't remember the last time I played chess, but I remember um, a little fun fact when I was watching yeah. this show that when I was in primary school... I was in the chess club. I was in the chess club for like three years. Oh, my God. I was decent at chess. And um, then I went to play a competition. I played a competition and we used the stop clocks. Oh, my God. Hello, Beth Harmon. I didn't know you were my best friend. Just a little little prodigy over here. This is amazing. I know. But unlike Beth Harmon, this is what happened to me. So I went to the competition. (laughs) And, like, they had the stop clocks and everything. And, like, everyone had tables. And I was probably, like... 10 years old like I was terrified or nine or something like I was really young and we we're playing other people my age but it was kind of like general high school people because there's only so many people in other schools chess clubs so you yeah. kind of went with people who were your level or your age or something I, I don't remember the details and I remember sitting down 
and from our, my first round and they showed us how to use the clocks. Kind of oh like Oh my God, that's Beth. literally a scene from the show. Yeah, it's a scene from the show. They showed us how to use the clocks and like all that sort of stuff and you had your board and you had to like do all these things and I was like, okay, all right. And I was crapping myself like because we hadn't practiced with stop clocks. Like why didn't our teacher tell us there were stop clocks and make us yeah. practice in chess club? Anyway. I agree. So- yeah, it was like, come on, how am I supposed to be a chess prodigy without that? And um, so unlike Beth Harmon, we started playing chess and the clock started and I'm pretty sure I lost in five minutes. Oh, <laughs> my first that's okay. Game. That's what... My first game. And then I we watched everyone else for the rest of the day. Like it was really, really nail-biting and stuff like to watch everyone was really cool so but, um, you actually like totally have lived the queen's gambit yeah i've lived the queen's gambit you were just except... one of those more supporting characters that got beaten by beth yeah. very quickly but you would totally lived it this is amazing same type of thing and so i was just like yeah these actually do exist and it is really scary and it is really nerdy and cute but also so just cool but everyone's just like obsessed with it and it's kind of like it is that is something that was really interesting in the show how they portrayed you know it is a great equalizer in terms Mm. of it doesn't matter what your background is it doesn't matter how old you are I mean technically what gender you are I mean that comes into the show a lot but when they Mm. start to play that becomes meaningless it's just is she going to yeah. win? Is she not? And that's she's definitely brilliant. a big theme of the show. How much people underestimate her at the start. Yeah, at the start, but then they kind of become terrified of her, and they're like, "Crap, she's yes. the best in the business." Yes. And one of my favorite scenes—they see scenes, they're against her, and they're like, "Damn it!" My favorite scene in the whole show is um, the last episode when she plays that guy with the crazy, um, uh, the crazy hair. He's like this mad mm. scientist-looking guy, and he's really good and she's sort of nervous to play him and then he realizes that he's not going to be able to win Mm. and he says to her you know you may be the best person I've ever played in my life thank you for the privilege like it was just like and she's like oh he's like you are a marvel my girl yeah a marvel and she's like like it was just so beautiful it was so beautiful I loved it so much and yeah look I definitely don't have that much talent or commitment to play chess but look I get it fun hobby still it's a really fun hobby with a a really fun game like I haven't played chess in ages and I'm dying to play it again so it's cool that it's made chess popular again like it has a little retro thing and it's a great club to get involved in. Like if you're in school and stuff, I mean, it's great for the brain. It's really, you know, you've really got to laterally think and, you mm. know, think ahead and it's just great. It's really good. So I loved this show. It's beautiful to watch. It's not too heavy too, even though there are some like darker themes. I honestly didn't find it heavy. I yeah. It most of the dark, uplifting. there's like dark flashes, but then, yeah, no, generally it's like pretty awesome did you hear um there's also like a lot of plot conveyed in the fashion so particularly the end when um she goes out into the park and plays chess with all the russian people and she's wearing like her white suit and a white cap it's meant to convey that she is like the white queen in the chessboard of life apparently I thought it was just because she was in Russia and she was a winner, so she could afford a fur coat. Yeah, <laughs> fur hat. It's fur the hat. White Queen because it's the Queen's Gambit. I randomly heard this and I was trying to figure out where I heard it to say it on the podcast with some sort of um, emphasis, but someone said that you can lose like 600 calories in a game of chess or something. That's like basically a step class, like a Les Mills what? step class. Yeah. Just because of the anxiety, the heart rate, the, ten- the tension in the muscles, someone was like, you can literally lose um, 600 calories. And I was like thinking to myself, I'm like, hang on a second. I just watched The Queen's Gambit and sometimes chess games go for five hours. So exactly, <laughs> that so- is just doesn't sound true, but I did hear that it is a... Um, very good cardio workout. <laughs> well, isn't that just like your resting heart rate and your general, you know, calories you burn by sustaining the life of your organs over Maybe. a long period of hours? Maybe, Grace, but it doesn't sound as good when you say it like that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I just like love that you were in chess club. I never knew I that. Know. And, like, I like forgot about that. Forgot that about myself. How did like, you forget that? Like, I just brought it back to you. I mean, maybe I don't you know. like repressed it because you were like chess isn't cool. I was and like, now you're like, God damn it, chess is glamorous. It's fantastic. Glamorous. No, I literally I quit so early because of that competition. I lost straight away, and I thought I'm not good enough. I honestly thought I'm not good enough for this game. Um, like, I can't compete. So I thought I'm just going to keep playing chess for fun, which I did. But, like, I wasn't able to compete. So I sort of lost interest in the chess club because it was sort of building you towards the skills to be able to compete against other schools and stuff. Right. Yeah. So I just thought I'm not good enough. But there you go. Little old nine-year-old me. Little possible prodigy back in the day. <laughs> I love it. We should totally play chess next time we have a drink. So fun. I love that chess is back. Definitely. But I think it's time to find out what hill we're dying on this week. So this week in the hill I'm willing to die on, I'm actually going to discuss a hill that I know you have strong feelings about. So much so that this hill is actually one of the things that inspired the whole idea for this segment when we were first sort of setting this segment up. It's one of your hills in life, and I'm going to argue the reverse point because that's what I believe. The hill I am willing to die on is that Halloween costumes don't have to be scary. It's just fancy dress. Oh, my God, Grace. No. No. Oh, my God. This is a throwback, of course. How could I not pick that? (laughs) I know. (laughs) This is something that you believe. We need to give some background for our listeners here. (laughs) Yes. Halloween is your thing. Yes. And I have very strong stance that Halloween costumes must be scary and not slutty, skanky, random costumes that are not scary. They can be skanky, but they have to be like at least Halloween themed. At least a bit of blood splatter or something. But I disagree. I think it's perfectly acceptable to dress up like Carrie Bradshaw. It doesn't have to be Carrie from the terrifying movie Carrie. You can dress up like Rosie the Riveter, like Red Riding Hood. It's just fancy dress. No, it's not because it's not called fancy dress. It's called Halloween. It's supposed to be scary. Well, Miranda, I have a smoking gun. Oh, no. About why... Actually, so you would know, you know, the history of Halloween or Hallow's Eve. It goes back to a Celtic pagan festival called Samhain. Hmm. And hundreds of years ago, people dressed up, get this, as saints to ward off ghosts. They dressed up nice. They dressed as saints. They dressed up as saints and went door to door to ward off ghosts. So it started with nice saintly costumes, (laughs) not scary costumes. Checkmate. (laughs) (gasps) You didn't just checkmate me. Oh, my God. (laughs) On the chess Queen's Gambit episode. Queen's Gambit episode. Holy (laughs) shit. (laughs) Consider myself schooled. But how did it change to scary then? I don't know at what point it became scary um, and whether that's to do with just, yeah, you know, various reinterpretations of things and like the Day of the Dead and things. But yeah, if you want to make the traditional argument about the real meaning of Halloween, mm. I present you the Celtic festival where they're dressed as saints. I mean, given that nobody knows that, most people think that Halloween should be scary and the people just dress up that. as whatever no, they most want. People think that. <laughs> most people do think that. Why do you think that people put like cobwebs up and like spiders everywhere and like scary things and they dress up as witches and they put pumpkins out because they're creepy and people have like guillotines in their front yards and, um, you know, like crazy scary stuff. Like that's, I mean, it's maybe it's not traditional, but that's what it's become. And I just feel like why can't people for one occasion wear something scary i mean but it's why a can't they just wear something fun it's hard enough to get people to dress up i love dress ups mm. i know you love dress ups but kind of like but themes are fun it's like fun to work within a theme and like if you have a different theme do a different theme you know like you can still come as whatever you want it just has to be somewhat 
scary related. Scary adjacent. Disagree. Disagree. <sighs> you just have to dress up. Okay. Well, yes, these are these are it's definitely a hill I'm willing to die on, but now yes. that now I'm getting older, um I suppose I would be more flexible because, oh. yes, it is hard to get people to dress up and, like, we don't do it very yeah. often anymore, whereas it used it's to be. It's if people even dress up. It used to be a thing that we had themes all the time for everyone's birthday. It used to be a different type of theme and then it used to be, I don't know, a house party for some random reason and we'd have a theme for absolutely no reason, but we would just have a theme. And mm. realistically that just doesn't happen anymore. So if we have a big dress-up party as adults, I think, yeah, if people at least make an effort to have a costume, then I'm I'm happy with that. Less There we go. Less militant Turned in my older around. years. <laughs> <laughs> I am almost 30, you know, over the hill. Exactly. You gotta pick your battles, pick your That's hills. That's right. <laughs> pick these. So hills. what about you? So my hill is um <laughs> is that cricket is the most boring and dreary sport that ever mm. was created. And, you know, as an Australian, mm-hmm. people are going to potentially hate this. Um, but nah. I don't get it. I think that not only is it a sport that I don't understand, I don't enjoy playing and I don't enjoy watching. I don't enjoy the commentary around it. I don't know when people say there's a score I don't even know what that score means. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know. Not just because I the also don't, don't know sense. how tennis scores means. I don't know if I should admit. Yeah, that. yeah. It's like tennis is like slightly more easy to understand than cricket, but cricket can often does go for days at a time. Yeah. And like, Terrible. there's a certain point when nobody, like, the other team just can't win because the other team's already ahead by so much. Like, why do they even bother playing? And I just feel like. Why would anyone bother going to like day two of a cricket match that's going to go all day? At least in yeah. a footy game, there's quarters. And you know that in the quarter break, you go get a pie and a beer and you come back and the game will be, someone will win at the end of it. But it's also, it's kind of like, like draw. really a football game will draw. I mean, to be fair, really a cricket game, but it's like the winner's already chosen, I feel like really early on in cricket. And um, even soccer, like, the amount of low scoring that happens in soccer and draws. I mean, I just don't know why anyone would put them through, put themselves through a game that potentially could result in zero zero. Like, how is that yeah. a game that has been played among, like, one of the, it's the most commonly played game in the world? I'm pretty sure soccer. Yeah. And- yeah, it's no, just, I'm I'm with you. Cricket is so boring. At least soccer has an ending time. <laughs> That's true, but still incredibly boring because like nothing happens. At it least is. with cricket, there's like happens, numbers. It's got the potential happening. to be interesting, and it like only lasts two hours or something. But and the same with the footy game. Like I love watching AFL. That makes one of us cricket. Nope, and like it's even more boring than golf. I'm just, I'm just saying it. But I, I can't think of anything worse than watching a game of cricket. Can yeah, you? no, I no. have been bored for this entire three minutes just yeah. hearing the word cricket so much. <laughs> this is how much I couldn't even want to watch a game oh, of cricket. And everyone's talking about it at work, and oh no, god, why? it's just, it's dreary. It's so dreary. I only have one interest in sport, which is around like the AFLW and like gender equality, pay equality for like how <laughs> usually all our female sports teams are actually better, like the Matildas. But I actually don't extend that to watching the games. Yeah. Yep. Fair. No. Not yeah, the no, you're, that's a more people need to hear that. Like get that off the TV. That's right. <laughs> get that off the TV. Why are you taking up so much time when you could be playing reruns? Of Shit's Creek and yes, you know, yes, something else good. <laughs> yeah, I'll defend that hill with you any day of the week. I agree. Brilliant. All right, now let's get to some recommendations. So, my first recommendation is a TV show called Seven Types of Ambiguity. So if you liked The Undoing, which Miranda recommended last week, try this next. It's an Australian psychological mystery. Really? Oh, I didn't yes, know that. Yes, set in Melbourne, in Brighton, 
and it's about a boy who goes missing after school, but they find him like a couple of hours later. So that's, it's not about a missing boy. Um, but where they find him is kind of weird. And they're like, this what? And then the next six episodes are each told from a different person's perspective of the same events. Cool. So it's kind of like the slap, all those sorts of things. It's really interesting and good, creepy. Awesome. I actually and similar to The Undoing. I haven't actually seen The Slap. Is that worth watching? The Slap is great, yeah. The Slap is set in Northgate, which is fun. Oh, wow. Is it a bit dated now yeah. or can I still get around it? Uh, you could still get around it, like a little bit retro. This The Seven Types of Ambiguity is a little bit old as well. I think it was on ABC a few years ago and it's just come to Stan or Netflix. Oh, okay. Awesome. Well, I might have to give that a go because I'm pretty much out of things. If you're still in a thriller <laughs> mood, yes. it is a good little other thriller. Mm, yes. Well, speaking of thrillers... That's my first recommendation. So when I was on this movie bandwagon, I was watching some movies with some friends who just only watch thrillers and they just kept recommending good thriller after good thriller. And the first one actually was one of my favourites and it's called Nerve. Have you heard of this? Yes. I've seen it with um, Julia Roberts' niece, Emma Roberts. Yeah, I've seen it. So it's... Essentially, um, I, I guess kind of a Black Mirror-esque storyline mm, so about that's the implications true. of the use of technology and um, sort of future but also not necessarily future, just kind of how technology can take a dark turn is usually the theme mm. for Black Mirror and this is very like that. So the premise is that there's a game, an online game, that's basically called it's it's about truth or dare and it's called mm-hmm. it's called nerve so you know it's about who can do the most dangerous challenges and you get money when you complete the challenges and so you can be yeah. a player or a watcher the watchers and it's all live to streamed to the watchers yeah it's all live streamed to the watchers and um you have a certain time limit to accept the challenge and you can either fail the challenge or bail to leave the game. Otherwise, you just keep going and you end up getting harder Mm. and harder challenges as the game goes on. And essentially, it's just really fascinating and kind of psychologically trippy and just so well fleshed out. I don't know. I just I really enjoyed it. It was a really fantastic standalone movie. I was totally gripped the whole time. Yeah, I enjoyed it as well. Just loved it. I thought it was just brilliant. So if you're feeling like a really good thriller, you won't be disappointed with nerve. Beautiful. Well, if you need to settle your nerves then, if you're <laughs> feeling a bit freaked out after that, my second recommendation is much lighter. It's um, the remake for Weddings and a Funeral, the new show by Mindy Kaling. Oh, I still haven't watched that. It's really good. Yeah. It's good. It's good. So I would say it's very loosely based on four weddings and a funeral. Like a few of the little things are the same, but it's definitely like all new characters. Um, It's more like loosely inspired by. Right. Um, So there'll be something new in there for everyone. Mm -hmm. And it has um, the girl from Game of Thrones who was like Daenerys's interpreter, Missandei. And she's beautiful and amazing. She's the lead. Yep. And it's just, yeah, funny and sweet. Obviously, everything Mindy Kaling touches turns to gold. So, you know, that's all you really need to know is that Mindy Kaling made it. Oh, very good. Okay, great recommendation. Well, Mm. my next recommendation is The Crown Season 4. Now, stay with me. Ah. You don't have to watch the previous seasons if you aren't up to date. So you don't have like a huge backlog to get through. I mean, it's all good. Season one and two particularly really good. Season three. So you have watched it all? Oh, yeah. Yeah, watched it all. But you're just recommending season four. Season four four is brilliant. Um, And I'll tell you why. But season three was an absolute snooze fest, which is so disappointing because, you know, we've got fantastic actors in there. So we've got Olivia Coleman, we've got Helena Bonham mm. Carter, we've got just wonderful actors, but it was such a boring series, season three. Nothing happened. And it just mm. really made me bored of um, you know, the monarchy and I just thought nothing interesting is gonna happen and what is the 
bloody point of doing nothing. You know, there's just no point in the monarchies, which takes us back to episode two, which (laughs) throwback. I know that we didn't really dive into monarchies much in that episode in the end, but um, it just, there's no point. There's no point to their existence. Like she's so stoic because she does nothing, but then that just makes for really boring TV. Yeah. I only made it through a bit of season one, but I've been really wanting to watch season four because everyone's raving about it. Yeah, it's really good. And the reason it's good is because it picks up from just before when Prince Charles meets Diana. Mm-hmm. So that she she's played by an actress who I have not seen in anything else, but she's really so much like Diana and you watch her throughout mm. the, the show and she kind of just becomes more and more like her like I I can't even get her face out of my head now um she just plays yeah, it you so, just think she's Diana now yeah and she plays it so well and um Gillian Anderson plays Margaret Thatcher mm. oh and yeah she's that's amazing brilliant oh my god she is like I could I again forgot she was Gillian Anderson by episode two just she just plays Maggie Thatcher so well Um, and some really interesting stuff happens in this time period. So you think I could jump straight into season four and get everything out of it? 100%. Good because we have had actually some requests to talk about The Crown so stay tuned for a further discussion on that. And so that's it for today's episode. Join us next week though where we're going to be talking about for Treasury what is the perfect body? What's our Mm. conversation around it? How has it changed over time? How is it going to keep changing? What are our predictions? Some of the problems. Um, But kind of just a critical look at the perfect body or what's our ideal body type in society and in different societies. I just think it's a really interesting topic to explore and especially with you know some celebrities who have changed their body type or features on their body, you know, just really taking a closer look at what that all means Mm, it's so interesting and like our beauty standards have changed but you know as we'll discuss next week it's just a different shaped box you need to fit in now and like yeah how does it all fit with the body positive yeah movement and yeah should be an interesting discussion and then similarly related is a show I recommended in episode one of this season bump Yes. So we will be talking about the show Bump on Stan. Uh, As you might remember from when we talked about it, Miranda had some, she hinted at some (laughs) controversial opinions. So if you've been wondering like me what she thinks, we'll find out next week when we talk about all things Bump. (laughs) Yes, join us for that next week. And also, if you've got some time, if you want to follow us on Instagram and follow us on Facebook, we always drop our bonus content there and also our recommendations and anything that we might have spoken about in the podcast if you want to find some links and just some other cool things and if you could chuck us a five-star review on your podcast app that would also be wonderful thanks for joining us for trash and treasury we'll see you next tuesday please note that the views expressed within this podcast are our own and we are not experts We have done some serious Googling and even some serious internet deep dives, but we are by no means qualified. If you need actual advice, please speak to a licensed professional. We can even help you Google one.